Thank you so much. Great. It's lovely to be here and uh, lovely to be back. It's been a year uh, since we were here, uh, well, since I was here last, and uh, it's been an amazing year. Uh, lots of good things happened uh, for us in a church down in Plymouth. Uh, bring greetings uh, to you from Redeemer Church, and uh, it's been exciting this year. Uh, in fact, we planted uh, another church into Tavistock, a town in the middle of Dartmoor, just north of where we are in Plymouth. Uh, a group of about 50 or so uh, planted there um, just, yeah, 15th of January was their first Sunday, excitingly with people who had become Christians on an alpha course that we had run as a launch into this church plant. You see, alpha changes lives. I really, really, really want to echo what Fabio has just said to you, to come along to Alpha. It really will change and transform your lives. I've been privileged uh, to be a part of a number of different Alpha courses, and though I've been a Christian, uh, you know, for, uh, since I was uh, sort of 15 or so, so, you know, just six or seven years. Uh, <laughs> No need for that, no need for that. Uh, even the opportunity to be able to talk and explore Alpha with people is just such an amazing experience to encounter God uh, together. And uh, so, yeah, things have been great uh, for us as a church as well. Things have changed. We've been really encouraged. Um, you may or may not know, but uh, Steve, a few months back, did a little video for us uh, to kind of encourage us and enthuse us about being more bold to share our faith with other people, particularly outside of the church environment. And since then... Our life groups and church as a whole have really begun to see some amazing, thing happen, some amazing things happen. We've seen more people respond uh, to the message of Jesus. We've seen more people healed uh, inside the church and outside the church. And across our kind of life groups with WhatsApp and Facebook, just story after story of what God is doing amongst people's lives. So what's happening here is having an impact in other places. And we just want to thank you uh, for your kind of part in that to us and encouraging us, uh, which is really exciting. So yeah, thank you very much indeed. But of course, change is here to stay. Change has happened a lot in the last uh, year or so, in particular over a certain Atlantic Ocean, change has been afoot. A reality television star has become what is said to be the leader of the free world. Donald Trump, with his amazing vocabulary and Twitter skills and debate skills, has kept us entertained for much of the last year. And uh, one of the kind of interesting things uh, around his inauguration uh, was the reporting of said inauguration. This is what happened on the 21st of January when the White House press secretary, Sean Spicer, reported on Trump's inauguration as the, and I quote, largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period, because they're American, both in person and around the globe. In seeming contradiction to all the available evidence given to us, including from the Metro train service. But in response, the presidential campaign strategist Kelly Ann Conway in an interview with NBC the next day, stated that the press secretary had not been lying, but was simply giving alternative facts. <laughs> and that crowd numbers anyway couldn't be proved or quantified. Alternative facts. It's an interesting term, isn't it? And one that has been much discussed, helpfully plays into the imagination, and of course an excellent alibi or excuse. 
Essentially, though, alternative facts are all around us in the world. Some of them are harmless, some of them very harmful. For example, two shampoos. Steve, shampoo. Uh, yeah, moving on. Uh, <laughs> two different shampoos are there, and they kind of say, well, this one's the best. No, this one is the best, and they both give evidence to say that they are. Two washing powders. Steve, washing, pa- uh, uh, washing powders are there. You know, kind of one says, well, we'll get your clothes whiter than white. And the other say, well, we can make them the whitest. Each of those things are claiming to be true. Two political parties might claim that with both polar opposite policies, they can achieve the very same thing. In a world of alternative facts, in a world of varying truths and shifting sand, I want to propose to you today that there is one unvarying, unshifting, ever-present, always true truth. The Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. And to make the most sense of life, to understand life most, we need to encounter and to know Jesus. And the best way of knowing Jesus is to look in the pages of this book, the Bible. I want to read just very briefly to you a section from an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. This is from the Gospel, the Good News, the book of John, chapter 8. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Even as He spoke, many believed in Him. Today, we're firmly in faith that as we speak about Jesus, there might be some, maybe even many, who might believe in him today to begin a new life with Jesus. We'll talk more about that in a moment. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, but we're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How then can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins, we'll talk more about that in a moment, is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. Now, of course, I've just stood here and before we read that Bible passage, I talked a little bit about the fact that different people claim different things to back up their statements, the alternative facts. For you, maybe this morning, as I mentioned, the Bible is just kind of a book kind of full of pages, just a bit kind of dry and dusty and, you know, not really anything in it for you. Boring stories, irrelevant poetry, religious rules and regulations. Maybe you go even so far as to say this is a book of fiction and fantasy. But maybe today you're someone who would say the polar opposite of that, that this Bible is life-giving. Life-bringing, world-transforming. I trust that whatever side of the fence you sit on, or even if you sit on top of the fence, that as we look today at the Bible, as we look together at this document, that what is in here will really, truly... (laughs) 
I'm hoping that the words inside it really will come alive for you today, that this living and active, the fire alarm is close, the living and active word of God might come alive in your hearts today. That's why on Tuesday, the 21st of February, as Steve said, here at King's Arms, we're launching Alpha, an opportunity to answer the big questions in life, in particular what this illuminating Bible and God himself gives in answer to those big questions. Now, I know it's Sunday morning. I know we're supposed to kind of just chill out, relax, take it a little bit steady. It's been a long week at work. But if we were to spend just a few moments thinking about life, I'm sure that many of us would think about all the great high moments that we have in life. The places that we go, the people that we mix, the food that we're cooking in the oven ready for when we get home. Those great moments of joy and elation, the places we visited, the positions we hold. There is lots of good to reflect on. But it is just possible, and I dare say probable, that admits that there would be some regrets maybe some remorse, some not-so-good aspects of life. And it's possible that those things may be kind of hidden and deep down. For others, it may be just kind of bubbling around just under the surface. But Alpha is really here to give you the opportunity to start working through some of those big issues. The Bible is not some fusty document to set aside. This is the Word of God on fire with the light of truth and revelation and freedom. You don't have to clap, honestly. (laughs) This morning, that's why we've called this meeting Breakout. To break out from untruth and into truth. To break out from the past and into the future. To break out from the impact and injury caused by some of those moments we've mentioned. And to encounter a life-giving, joy-bringing, truth-revealing, life-fulfilling, all-powerful, almighty, and all-merciful living God. So this morning, I want to highlight just a few areas for us that, that maybe that there might be just those things bubbling along under the surface. But as we can depend on God in them, we can see breakthrough from them. And the first is to break out from guilt. Guilt, as we all know, or at least as Wikipedia tells us, is this. A cognitive or emotional experience that occurs when a person compromises his or her own standards of conduct or has violated a moral standard and bears significant responsibility for that. If, however, you need a bit more plain language like me, guilt is that knotted feeling in the stomach. That nagging thought in the brain of something that we've done or that has been done to us. Guilt is so much more than an emotion, isn't it? Sometimes guilt can be over relatively small things. Oh, did I really need to shout at my child quite as loud as I did, even if they were wrong? Should I have really bought those shoes if we haven't quite got the money to be able to do so? But also that guilt can be entrenched with far bigger things. Family breakdowns, decisions made in younger days, things you've said and done to people in the past, things that have been said and done to you. And that guilt, as we were singing about earlier on, can very much feel like this. A big, solid metal chain around us that kind of weighs us down, that kind of restricts and restrains us, almost like an anchor around our waist. And that kind of weight around us just kind of makes life extraordinarily difficult, extraordinarily hard. 
This book that many claim to be dusty is truly alive. And in it we hear what God has to say about guilt. The words are on the screen for you. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 7. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In these verses, God promises that guilt can be eliminated from life, eradicated from our lives. And in both these verses, it's speaking about personal guilt. The things that we've said or done or thought that have brought us into conflict with others and in turn brought us into conflict with God. Every one of us stands, we know, don't we, with an imperfect record of attitude and of behaviour. It's no big for surprise for us. But because of that imperfection, we cannot be in relationship with a perfect God. But that is what we are supposed to be. That is the way we've been designed to be. And that is in part why we feel guilt, why we feel shame. The first account that we have in the Bible is the account of the the origins of humanity, beginning in a wonderful relationship with God. But Adam and Eve stepped over the mark. They stepped outside the guidelines that God had given them. And as they realized what they had done, shame came upon them, guilt came upon them, and they hid. They hid behind clothes, and the Bible tells us they hid behind a bush. So they were hidden from God. Or so they thought. You see, the same is true for us today. We hide behind all sorts of things in our guilt and our shame. We hide behind possessions. We hide behind position. We hide behind busyness or business. Sometimes that's a willing thing. We we intentionally ignore God. We deliberately say, no, I don't really want to kind of think too much about God at the moment. It might cost too much. Maybe it's an involuntary thing. We've never really known about God. No one's really explained who he is and what he's done for us to you. This is true for Christians. Those of us who are in church regularly as well, those dark corners of our lives, that intentional repeated behavior we know is wrong, but we're not quite willing to allow God in. So we hide behind bushes. We delete our internet history. We hide behind clothes of acting one way on a Sunday and a different way for the rest of the week. But also for some of us who love Jesus, some of the guilts of the past, we kind of keep pushing back. We keep putting them to one side because we know if we let them come to the surface, it's really going to hurt. It's going to hurt us and it might hurt other people. But if you are a Christian, then the words that we've read from John, I hope are encouraging to you. John chapter 8 verse 32. Then you will know the truth. Jesus Christ himself, and he will set you free. And John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you are here today and the words of Jesus are not a regular part of your life, if you wouldn't say that you were a disciple of Jesus, it doesn't actually make any difference to the truth. The truth is still true. The truth still remains. That an encounter with Jesus today is possible for you and enable you to be free. 
See, it's almost impossible to, to kind of rid ourselves of the guilt around our neck in, in our lives by ourselves. We can go to self-help groups. We can read self-help books. But the reality is those things can indeed be helpful. They can indeed be good. But true and lasting freedom from guilt only comes through the person of Jesus. What I can say with full confidence is that healing the scars of guilt comes through forgiveness. The root of breaking out from guilt is forgiveness. And Jesus is the truest and best source of forgiveness there is. As we'll see in just a moment, his death and resurrection nearly 2,000 years ago is the ultimate source of eternal forgiveness and therefore freedom from guilt. But we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But we're first, we're going to look at just another area of life, which is hurt. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But afterwards, first, I just need to uh, introduce my next prop. Steve, have you got two willing volunteers for me? Gentlemen, if you could... Oh, hello. I've got the burly boys in. No, I'm going to be polite to you because I know what happens next. Guys, if you could just hold that for me, the ironing board of impending doom. Now, the torture board that you see here before me, or before you, behind me, uh, is based on a, a medieval kind of practice, obviously, of torture. What happens in just a moment is I'm going to be kind of wrapped up in this chain against that board, and then a padlock will secure me to it if indeed all goes well. But we're going to talk about that in just a moment because this is a torture board. And the feelings of guilt that we've spoken of and the feelings of hurt and pain that we're speaking about now can be truly tortuous feelings to us. Pain and hurt that accumulate over the years, things that have been said to us, things that have been done to us can imprison us and leave us feeling trapped in a prison of pain. And that pain may well be a physical one. Maybe a hurt or a sickness, something that maybe is short term, maybe it's been long term. But in those moments of suffering and hurt, it's hard to see the truth of who God is and his love for us. A friend of mine who's suffered with sickness for a long time from his uh, teenage years was asked this question by his friends. His friend said, how can you believe in a God of love when you suffer so much on a daily basis? His reply was this, I don't know how I'd get through it if it wasn't for God. The Bible gives us hope. Revelation chapter 21 verse 4. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Isaiah 53 verse 4. Surely he, Jesus, took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And this amazing verse from Exodus chapter 15 verse 26. This is God introducing himself to people. He says, this is my name. I am. My name is the Lord who heals you. This Bible, this book of amazing truth tells us that God can take away pain and hurt. Be it physical, be it emotional, be it small and large, short term or long term. I hope I'm not painting a picture for you as God as some kind of genie who we kind of come along with our wishes and say, oh, fingers crossed that God might be nice to me today. God is not a genie, but what God is, is gracious and kind, loving and generous. His want for you is to enjoy a life of freedom. His very name is healing from hurt and pain. Have you ever noticed how much healing is part of creation? 
Have you ever noticed, if you cut yourself, what happens is your blood clots, a scab forms, and new skin forms underneath. Why? Because God loves to heal people. God's created order, he made creation, and as part of that created order, heals us. God wants to heal you today from pain. At the end of the meeting, over in this area over here, we would love to pray for you. If you have a a pain or a sickness, the team will be here, and we'd love to pray and see what God might do. Just as with Fabio. His shoulder, in a shooting, clay pigeons, bangs his elbow, bangs his shoulder. Then almost a few weeks later, someone says, God wants to heal you, and God does it in an instant. God wants to do the same thing for us today. You see, some people think Jesus is a bit of a kind of first century hippie, walking around in a white bed sheet, being nice to people, you know, nice to old ladies, and asking nice people to do nice things to nice people. The Bible gives us a far more accurate description of who Jesus is. The behind the scenes pictures of Jesus. Jesus who at his friend's funeral weeps, not only at the loss of his friend, but also at the fact that death has invaded creation. Death was never supposed to be a part of the created order. And he weeps at what's happened. He had compassion on people. For the orphan and the widow, the people society pushed to the side, he welcomed to the center of his friendship group. He hung out with the dropouts. The down he lifted up, the oppressed he released. Jesus' heart for us is one of freedom. And that's what we're going to talk about now. You see this torture board? Let's bring it through the front there. So I've done number one for you, Steve. So you need to go to number two next, all right? Just to make it clear, you'll need that end. end? No, this end. This is my end. Thanks very much. You see, the hurt and the pain that we're talking about are like this chain. It can feel perhaps that, you know, kind of, life's all right, really. We can kind of carry on. There's enough kind of mobility. There's enough movement. Boys, hold the board. Okay, this is a very important moment. There is a moment where this trick can go wrong. Normally, if the uh, people who are helping decide to stop helping. Uh, I'm not saying that did happen in Kids Club once on a Saturday morning in uh, Southampton. I'm not saying that I fell forwards onto a small boy called Max. <laughs> not saying he had to go to hospital uh, with a very large bruise on his head. We're not saying that's what happened. Now, this is a particularly dangerous part of the trick. Chains through holes four and five. The dangerous part, where it makes breathing difficult, depending on how rough Steve is. Bearing in mind, I did a shampoo gag, probably quite rough. That's gonna hurt! Don't dance, Steve! Ha 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 ha! Most amusing. Aww. You see, the fact is, hurt and guilt can affect us massively. We can feel that we can maybe carry on. We can feel that on the surface, you're enjoying this a bit too much, Steve. (laughs) Life can carry on. But ultimately, sometimes those things can actually restrict and restrain us. What we thought would bring us freedom actually ultimately trap us and constrain us. They hold us back. Ow. Guilt. Things that we've been thinking about for years. Hurt. Hurt. Speaking of hurt. Boys, hold the board up. I cannot stress that more importantly to you a second time. Oh, yes. Ha, ha, ha. It is actually possible. A friend of ours did this trick once, and actually they did drop him, and he broke his back. So that was lovely. And we're hoping not for that today. It's a true fact, Steve. Now, 
Steve has now got three more holes to do. He just finished off the feet, round to the shins, and then across this barrel chest of mine. Well, when I say barrel chest, I've actually lost half a stone in the slimming world in the last three weeks, just saying. Don't know if I mentioned that yet. I mentioned it a couple of times in the first meeting. Okay, nearly there. Fantastic. So the last one across. Brilliant. Okay, yes. Very nice indeed. Okay, then that just across the middle and then padlock right in front so that everybody could see. So as we talked about these pains and these hurts, the sense of guilt, these feelings that can ultimately lead us feeling restricted. On the surface, things may seem okay still. We can still smile, we can still talk, we can still kind of move around a little bit, but ultimately we're still trapped. But here's what it says in John chapter 8. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. If you know the Son of Man, you'll be free indeed. Hopefully, I'm going to get free from this. Normally, it only takes me a couple of hours to do this trick. So, <laughs> not really. Okay, we're going to see how long it takes. It feels even tighter than it did in the first meeting, so it could be interesting. Okay, boys, hold tight. Okay, three fingers in the air like this. <laughs> People at the front get the gag. I'm just holding three fingers up, but I'm trapped. Okay, here we go. Three. Two. Look. I'm actually going to try a lot harder than you've tried in there, okay? <laughs> Three fingers in the air. Here we go. Three, two, one. Hold the board. Ah! Ah! Okay. Yep. Tight. Ah! 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 Oh, I've got a microphone on. Sorry. Ah! Oh! Trapped in my eyebrow. Ah! 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 Oh, lost a shoe. Ah! 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 Oh, lost another shoot. Never mind. Now move on. Nearly there. Yeah. Just drop the board down, guys. There is a method. There is a method to escape the torture board. I could teach actually any of you to escape from that torture board. But those feelings of guilt and hurt and pain, it's not a method, but a man. The man that is Jesus Christ, the one who sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Guilt and hurt and pain, issues of the past and the present, Jesus is able to help us overcome. We'll explain how in just a moment. But what about the future? What about what is still to come? Because for many people, the crippling thing in their life is fear. How do we break out from fear? Now, for many people, as we say, fear is a major issue. According to the NHS, fear is a disabling condition that affects about 8% of the UK population at some point in their lives. Not just to be mildly afraid of something, but a genuine terror, a genuine phobia. In particular, one fear grips many. Thanatophobia. The fear of death. Death, of course, one thing shared by all people. One day we will. And for many, that is the thing to be feared. What might happen? When will it happen? How will it happen? The Bible. The very words of God are words of life. Words of hope. Words of joy, words of courage, the very opposite of fear. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in 
love. Perfect love drives out fear. God's message, the Bible message is very simple. God loves you. That's the basis of all we're speaking about today. God's lavish, outrageous love overflows into our lives. That's God's plan and desire for us to stand in the full torrent of his love for us. And one glorious side effect of receiving the love of God is that fear is driven out, replaced with love when we encounter God. And part of that is because we need no longer fear death. Because God's promise is life. Life eternal. Life abundant. Life without pain. And there is no fear in those things. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content. Untouched by trouble. Would you like to have a life that is contented? and trouble-free. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Not that being a Christian means that we all just get to go like this, ah, and relax and do nothing and no bad things ever happen to us. That's not the case. But we can know God, the one who brings us life, if we fear the Lord. But fear in this case isn't a kind of a phobia or, or, or a rational fear or being scared. It is a right fear of almost a sense of awe. Wow, God is so amazing. A bit like, you know, kind of when you meet a roaring lion or, or indeed a, a roaring flame. You're, you're right not to go near it. It's dangerous. It can hurt you. It's right to be afraid or have fear of an almighty, all-powerful, all-able God. Not because he can hurt, but because he is so awesome in his majesty. Right awe, right fear of a righteous God leads us not into a terrified life, but a terrific place of comfort and of love, of acceptance, of freedom, of rest and contentment. Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. The last promise is amazing. God is with us. Emmanuel, that's the, the message really we spoke of just a few weeks ago at Christmas. God is with us. What do we need fear if we know God is with us? What do we need fear if we know that God has walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, who's been through all the difficulties, all the anguish, faced all the fears we do too, and yet he has overcome everyone. All these promises we've looked at in the Bible are cemented, they are assured, they are proven by one thing. We've already read it in John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. What do we mean, lifted up? What do we mean about that? Well, we talked about the fear of death. This little tool here is in fact a guillotine which is nice. And, uh, you know, those of you who came to church thinking, I wasn't kind of expecting exciting worship. We're going to go for guillotine. Now, we talked about fearing death. Uh, Ra, why don't you come and just join me a moment here? Uh, you know, you did a very good job earlier on leading the meeting, but, um, you know, just, this is fine, honestly. Nothing can go wrong. Well, no, no you, you just, just pop your, um, pop your head in there. Just, if you could look a little bit more terrified, that'd be great. Head down. There you go. It's all good. It's all good. 
More fingers and thumbs. Don't know what I'm doing. Okay. I am actually fingers and thumbs. Hang on. You've got quite a chunky neck for a bird, haven't you? Anyway, right. It's just a joke, okay? So we're talking about fear, but before we kind of talk too much about fear and death, doing a lovely job there, I want to tell you a story, a story about Louis XVI, the king of France. Really, he was born at the wrong historical place, at the wrong historical time. Life at the time there was horrendous. Economy was all over the place. Crops were failing. It was almost impossible to find vegetables. And really, the economy of Europe was in dire straits. Some things never change. On January the 20th, 1793, the court of the people brought Louis XVI before crimes or before a trial of crimes that they had essentially made up. And what happened is this. Louis was convicted of all the crimes they said that he had done. And they condemned him to death at the blade of Joseph Guillotine's killing machine. And what happened on the morning of the 21st of January, 1793, was that Louis XVI was taken from the place of his prison to the Place de Concorde, a place you can still go to today. And as he, he mounted the guillotine block, what happened is this. He was given permission to say the last few words. And this is what he said. He said, I pardon those who have occasioned my death. I die innocent of all the crimes laid to my charge, and I pray to God that my blood may cement your happiness. And in a moment, what happened was the blade was raised above the neck of the king. The crowd was silent. Most of them had taken out their phones and iPads to record it, it would seem. <laughs> I hope this goes right now. If it does go wrong, if you could just delete it, it's fine. Or I'll share the 250 quid with you. That's fine. Okay, so it's uh, fine. But what happened was this. The blade was raised, and in front of the vast crowd, as the, the drums began to beat, the soldiers stood to attention. The crowd fell silent. And the blade fell. <laughs> really do wish you wouldn't make that noise. I really do. Goodness sake. What happened then was this. The blade was removed, and in that instance, Louis XVI's head went bouncing into the crowd. But here, to the sound of rapturous applause, Ra lived. Louis XVI said... I pray to God that my blood, you've got such a good scream. I pray to God that my blood may cement your happiness. The reality was, it didn't. But when Jesus died on a cross, when his blood was shed for us, all of the pain, all of the guilt, all of the sickness, all of the effects of wrongdoing and our own wrongdoing in our lives could be given to him. He took, the Bible says, the sin of the world upon his shoulders. Louis XVI never returned from the grave. Jesus did. And because Jesus came back from the dead, everything that we've said today is true. 
Every promise that we've read from Scripture is true because Jesus rose from the dead. How can you have a breakout from pain? How can you have breakout from guilt? How can you have breakout from fear by coming to Jesus? By saying, I give you everything that I am in order that I might receive everything that you are.